Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations you should be having about your food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, does beer before liquor really leave you feeling sicker? Is FOMO killing hospitality? And on Weird Widget, we test a suggestive slicer. Let's dive in. So, Chashta, have you heard the yes. expression uh, beer before liquor, never sicker? A hundred percent. Liquor for beer, before beer, you're like in the I clear. I guided myself by it in my early days of drinking. <laughs> I just heard another one from the UK, which yeah. is grape or grain, but never the twain. <laughs> oh, my God. British people delightful? are amazing. Oh, I love Britishness. <laughs> anyway, God they, bless them. God bless them. <laughs> they just make everything sound wonderful. Oh, yeah, for another twenty-three days or whatever it is. Grape or grain, oh. but never the twain. Anyway, we have to throw all that out the window. Yeah, um, there's it's been not a real thing. new research. No, saying that it does not matter what you drink or in what order they took. Um, this is at the University of Cambridge. They took ninety people. Also, more British people. Yes. Uh, although <laughs> I think the person who they led the study was German. So, uh, well, uh, yeah. if it's not going to be a Brit. Yes. yes. Amazing. They were beer people. They're beer people. Um, so they took 90 volunteers. Yeah. And they fed them each, I believe, two pints of beer and four glasses of wine. And some people okay. had two pints of beer followed by four glasses of wine. Some people had the four glasses of wine first. And okay. then the beer. Okay. Some people had just the beer. Some people had just the wine. Fine. And then they, you know, were, were very scientific about every element of it sure. and measured their hangovers. And then they redid the same study and they switched things up. So people who had previously oh, had it in one order had, had it in the other experience. order. So they, okay. it was super wow, airtight, well scientifically yeah. yeah, done. And they found that the hangover was absolutely the same across the board. And this is something I've been saying for years, and it's fascinating to me, but in the alcohol world, there's always studies right. to, to debunk these little things sure. that people cling to, yeah, um, which ju- are just not true. Well, then what else are we going to rhyme about <laughs> on university campuses? <laughs> That's a good point. At four o'clock in the afternoon, when you know there's a kegger that night. Right. Right? That's, how, like, for, like, that's the on-the-ground wisdom there. There was like, we're going to drink beer all night tonight. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so fine. So we, you know what I mean? If you're going to have your rum and Coke now, that's totally fine because that rhyming equation suits. But I think maybe we can rhyme about, uh, not drinking too much, which is always the issue there and is. was also a concern for me in this study. Cause I don't know about two pints of beer and followed and by four, four glasses, glasses of wine. Like, Oof. Oh, I don't. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of sugar. It's a lot of burping. It's a yeah. lot. It's not comfortable. Not at all. The things we do for science. Well, there it is. So we I have to come up impressive. with a moderation jingle. Maybe I a think little that's, moderation. But, but like, well, how many other things that we think is like solid bit of truth mm-hmm. is actually a big nothing? Yeah, I know. But you did you believe that beforehand? Or? I 100% believed it. Interesting. And I, I can actually remember recently thinking it in my head, being like, what's the, how should I pace what's this What's the out? order? Let's talk about actually what happens in the body here, right? And metabolization of the booze. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously, obviously in like intensities, like the liquor is stronger in yes. alcohol content than beer. Mm-hmm. It's more uh, concentrated. It's more, thank you. Okay. Because one, uh, one ounce or an ounce and a half of liquor is the same as a, a, uh, as a pint, portion of beer, yeah, a you know, serving of the beer. Ser- right. Servings. Yes. Yes. yes the portions. <laughs> All indeed. servings are equal. Yes. Indeed. But what's happening there? Yeah. So. In the body, I mean. 
So this has long been my theory about why mixing uh, yeah. is a problem. And you mentioned beer and spirits. Yes. And I certainly have a rule that I do not do shots when I'm drinking beer. And it's not because I'm afraid to mix. Okay. It's because of the way that it'll hit you. Because if you're have, if I'm having a pint and then I'm having another pint, I can feel, you know, the my alcohol content, you know, the level of my right, buzz, the slow for, la- for lack yeah, of yeah, a better yeah, yeah, term. Yeah. And I can gauge, you totally. know, where I'm at very, yep. very well. With a shot, however, it's something that is a very concentrated amount of alcohol that yep. you're shooting quickly. So I'm, you know, I'm having my beer, I'm having my beer. Someone gives me a shot, I pound back that shot. Yes. Uh, as, you know, that's what you're supposed to that do. And then I continue yeah. drinking my beer and I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. Right. I ordered another pint. I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. All of a sudden that shot that I had finally hits right. Right. and I am somewhere I don't want to be. Right. So I think that is, you know, part of the issue. And the other issue for me is speed. And this is something I noticed as a beer drinker. Okay. Um, I drank exclusively beer for many years. It's just the yummiest. And that's okay. Right. Um, and I did notice that whenever I was in company where wine was served, yeah. that my glass would be empty <laughs> long before anyone else's glass. Okay. Because my drinking speed is a beer drinking Yeah, speed. and you know the volume that you need to take down, so right? So I would yes. just drink it at the speed of beer yeah. and then top up and... Off I go, and things right. are getting very happy very quickly. Wow, yeah, that is fast. And now I've learned in wine town. Um, uh, yeah, I if I if I do forget and I drink at beer speed, I'll wait till everyone's finished their wine Smart. before I top Smart. up. So I think that's to catch up part of what happens, and that's why they always say beer last, right? Because if you're drinking beer, you establish that beer speed, and then you switch uh, to wine, and the precedence or you of the to, rhythm of that consumption, I and see. you're just. In that pattern, yeah. that, that's my theory. Because I think there's wisdom there. As the study it. has shown, the mixing is not it's not a thing. Right. But here's something else that this brought up because um, I was thinking the hangover is the same, but the buzz is not. The buzz is not the same. I agree. I have certainly some things that I drink. That just make me nice and mellow. Uh-huh. You know, beer, for example, scotch, uh-huh. also. But if and I have some red wine, really it makes enjoyable. me a little bit more energized. Yep. I can get impunitive, right? Um, and I've heard other stories. You know, with some people who re- react differently to tequila. Yeah. I don't know. Vodka. What's your experience Vodka there? Vodka is a serious drunkenness. Oh, really? Right. That's when I start with a little bit of slurred speech. Wow. And telling you stuff that I've always wanted to say. <laughs> it just gets you. Vodka opens the door <laughs> completely. Wow. Right? Whereas beer, it's just I'm giggling. Oh, it gets you giggling. I get that. That's oh, why I'm that's like, nice. I like that. I'm burping and I'm giggling. That's, that's beer for me, right? Whereas vodka is like, we are drunk. Right. And a, a new a new reality is here for a moment. I will make note of that. I am yeah. not a vodka drinker. It's uh yeah, that's if, I any questions, <laughs> if any questions, anything you want to get out of me, uh, that is the spirits of the way there. Noted. How do you drink your vodka? Just straight? Uh, I like it with lots of lemon and lime and ice, maybe Ooh. a hit of soda. Interesting. I don't like to mess with it too much. One of the things that I think is really interesting when we think about our relationship as humans to booze. Yeah. Uh, as somebody who comes from a culture where booze is a very taboo, you know, prohibited thing. Really? Right? My family's not Muslim, which where it's more formally. Okay. You know, more formally uh, prohibited. 
we're Hindus, but still the, in the brown culture is really sort of hilariously hardcore about it all, right? My dad enjoyed a drink, taught me how to drink, uh, how to pace myself, all that kind of stuff, right? Great. And when I was 19, when it was then legal, we would drink together, right? Mm-hmm. But if we were doing it in a family context, aunts and uncles around, they were just like, what is going on? Had problems with the fact that I was a female. Really? Right? With my brother, no problems. Mm-hmm. But with me, it was just like, who is she? Right? And the thing, I remember this so clearly at weddings, when you'd be at a family wedding mm-hmm. and at the reception, first you're in the temple and everybody, oh, feels very nice about everything. Uh, and then you're at the reception and you're standing, you know, there with a cocktail or, a, or heaven forbid, a bottle of beer in your hand. Right. Right? The juxtaposition of the bottle of beer with the sari. With the sari. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> Was problematic. I remember my dad, too. He was like, with the sorry on Joshna. But Joshna, you should always pour that beer out for the record. You'll get less carbonation. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, And I remember this one crazy moment. (laughs) I was with some of my cousins, and they are four daughters Mm -hmm. in the family. Yeah. And they came up to me, and they're like, Joshna, let's do some shots. I was like, done. Off we go to the bar. Mm -hmm. Order five shots. Yeah. Right? I, I look up. I see their dad. And then I turn around and all four of them are gone. No. Wait, they how old are they? They're in their 20s. Come on now. The youngest one maybe is 19. Okay. Right? The oldest one, is the oldest daughter is the same age as I am. In their 20s. Disappeared. Scattered. And I'm standing there holding the tray of five shots and their dad is looking at me. Right. Uh-oh. Being like, what was happening here? Right. And, and remember, all of us in our saris looking like nice, good Indian girls. Right? So, now, so now you're the one who ordered five shots now for yourself. I, <laughs> and I wish I had the courage to take down all five of them right there while yeah. keeping eye contact with him. Uh, but I wasn't I wasn't confident that I could pull it off. No, not a good idea. Yeah. But really, really laughable. Wow. Right. To see that there, everybody was above drinking age. So I've been doing quite a bit of work with Boilermakers. Yeah. And the, so the notion now with craft beer is, you know, when you're having uh, whiskey right. with a lager, that's all... Fair and good. Yes. But is whiskey always the best spirit oh, that's a to good use question. That's if a good you're question. having, for example, a stout or an IPA yep. or a fruited sour uh-huh. or whatnot? And so I spent... A fruited sour. <laughs> I spent uh, a long time researching this because although in, I would say in, in the beer culture, in the beer sphere, among yeah. my peers, um, the <laughs> Boilermaker is not really a thing. Yeah. In the cocktail world, it absolutely is a yeah, thing. And yeah. I'm guessing maybe in the chef world as For well. Sure. At the end of the day or maybe to start the uh-huh. evening, the beer and the shot. Yep. So I'm going to challenge you with this. Okay. There, I did zero in on one spirit that has the most universal, that works best with, right? yeah, with the largest spectrum so of types of beer. And it's absolutely not what you would expect. I was shocked. Any guesses? Is it, I, my first thought is like something sweet, like amaretto. Interesting. Or some, you know, that is that mm-hmm. well, it's a bit bossy. Yeah. But yeah. then we'll sort of return you to your regular programming with that beer. It's not amaretto, okay. but it is bossy. Okay. Do you want to know? Yes. Cognac. Oh, that's, that's very classy. It's not very, it's very uh, classy response. It makes sense. Yep. It's not Actually, a very grape versus grain, but never the twain. Not it's at all. It's the opposite. Indeed. But yeah, I was oh, surprised. But I, bet. I assumed it was going to be something grain based. Yeah. But it, I guess it makes sense that they complement each other because they come from different places. Yeah. 
I love that. But it's almost like it just takes you into fun little foray and then back down again. Like it's very sort of elegant. It is. And I it works try with a range now. of That's IPAs. Amazing. Fruited sours. Okay. <laughs> Um, as well as dark beers. It didn't work across the board, but it was, you know, if you had to just have Ooh, one I go-to. Oh, that. That's the one. Something and then to, to imagine the dessert that underlies all of that. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. All right. So something that has really come up in a number of ways for me mm-hmm. is a question around hospitality. What do you mean? Right. About... Um, the practice of it, about where it, where we are with our relationship with it, particularly, I mean, obviously in this industry, mm-hmm. I have some strong opinions about hospitality, and I actually have a firm belief that we are in a bit of a crisis uh, with the absence of hospitality and what that's going to mean for our food industry, our food service industry. Um, super briefly, in my work in public institutions, uh, what my verdict is that what has been removed from hospital food yeah. is hospitality. Okay. And right? what do you mean by and, that? And when I talk about hospitality, I'm talking about human connection. Ah, okay. Right? So like service. Uh, it's service. It's that reception, the warmth and the welcome. But it's also about the yeah, acknowledgement. No. It's the acknowledgement of all of the hands that are involved in moving that food. Right. From field to kitchen to table mm-hmm. or tray as it would be. Yeah. Right? Um, but what we're seeing. So I was having a conversation yesterday with a pal of mine who's a GM. Of a, cha- of a chain of a number of restaurants. GM being general manager. General manager, yes. Of a group of a number of restaurants in this city. Mm-hmm. And I was asking her what it's like. You know, how are things these days? And she said that her biggest challenge is teaching hospitality to her staff in a climate, in a city, in a community where there are, in fact, not very many examples of it. Wow. Right? And th- when she said that, my initial response was like, what are you talking about? But when I actually thought about it, I realized that she's completely right. So I've been obviously I think about this a lot. Hospitality is is a huge deal um, for me. But what I think more interesting is as I sort of launched this is a is a topic for discussion. A news piece emerged about this battle mm-hmm. that American chef Kat Cora was having with Alinea in Chicago. Tell me more. So basically, the story is. Uh, this woman wanted to go eat at this restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And the restaurant is everybody's eating a tasting menu. So it's, there's no a la carte. It's like one few hours of time you're committing. That's a big it, chunk. right? Yeah. So she made a reservation. That was made, credit card taken, all of that. And then she no-showed. Mm-hmm. She didn't show up for that. But there was a communication about this. And, and they asked, they said, we could put you in the mm-hmm. next day or later today at this yeah. time. That didn't necessarily suit mm-hmm. her. And so she showed up at the time that did suit her mm-hmm. and expected to be fully accommodated. Okay. And was and and uh, they they did because they, they always hold some seats in the mm-hmm. in their gun galley. Professional professional courtesy is a thing, right? So they tried to put it all together, but it was not to her satisfaction. Okay. She wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't as like we are ready for you, chef. Come and sit at your beautiful table, right? So she decided to take to social media. Mm-hmm. And out and shame this restaurant. Okay. Uh, talk about how unprofessional it is, and she only goes to places where she no time. We are so busy, and there's no time for this, and so she chooses her restaurants very carefully. Mm-hmm. And then she tagged all these other famous chefs. Wow. In this, really, sort of passive aggressively, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then got angry that Grant Ackett's the chef didn't come out and say hello. 
uh, right? All like mm-hmm. she was just really pushed back on all of it. And uh, there's a camera footage of her flipping the bird. Wow. On the way out the door. Like it's all of this. And so then t- in response, the restaurant themselves decided to issue to write a piece chronicling this entire scenario and how they felt that they hmm. handled it. You know what I mean? And so yeah. to justify the way they behaved. Now, the bottom line on all of this mm-hmm. is that um, everybody could do with a little refresher on picking up our socks on hospitality. Okay. Right? Because the one uh, interesting uh, perspective that I read was that really, if this restaurant was um, exercising the level of hospitality that we might aspire to, right? Well, they might have the feeling about being, you know what I mean, poorly treated or taken mm-hmm. advantage of by her, but their their behavior is about seem, you know what I mean, completely not acknowledging any of that and welcoming her and offering her the very best thing that they could have. But and it not sounds to anything. me like they did. Well, but they're not saying anything afterwards about it. Even after she raised all that yes. sting? Yes. Right? Because the, the idea is that the customer may not always be right, mm-hmm. but it's not our job to talk about. Interesting. We are here to serve people, not to be right. Right? Yeah. And and it's it's hard to swallow, but I do fundamentally believe that that is the point of hospitality. Okay. Right? In, in the lack of judgment. So... So which pieces would maybe someone going into uh, a restaurant notice as missing when you're talking about that? I'm just trying to yeah. concretize so a little really, bit this notion of hospitality. That we understand hospitality is the relationship between guest and host. Right. Right. So to a certain degree. And then Briat Savarin, French mm-hmm. writer who wrote a lot of really sort of brilliant, lovely things uh, about food and our relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Right. He He wrote... That um, when we invite someone into our home, right, the notion of hospitality is that we are agreeing to take full responsibility for their well-being while they are under our roof. Right. Yeah. And that ideally is mm-hmm. the attitude of a host. Right. Right. Even if, even if they're, even if they're at a drive-through window <laughs> or a sandwich counter, or so you're about to have some sort of marathon tasting menu. Somewhere, right? The notion that you are greeted with joy and welcome, right? And that to some degree your needs are being anticipated. That's interesting because I think it might also be something that people are looking for. I think so too. Less? Yeah. No, I think they're looking for Ah, it less. It's expendable. Yes. And this is a conversation I've had with a number of my friends because when I go to a restaurant, I am going there specifically to be waited on. Me too. That I am there. To totally. be pampered. Because if I want delicious food, I can cook it at home. I can do that. I'm with you. And if I, you know, quote unquote, don't feel like cooking, you know, I'll just buy some cold cuts or, you know, what the kids are called, calling charcuterie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Call them cold cuts. Uh, you know, a nice baguette yeah. or a ciabatta, yeah. a cucumber bit or a tomato, a bit of sorted. cheese. And a, there, there you go. Yep. I'm set. I don't need to, you know, go out unless, you know, if I'm going out, I want that customer service. And even if the food is impeccable, if the service is not good, Easily. I won't go back. And I would say 95% of my friends disagree with me. And if the service is horrible, if if they like the food, they will go back. I know. They say it's not I, that important. I think it's a major problem, right? I remember. That's so weird. I think it's, and I don't know if it's just because I'm in the industry. Yeah. That I have this bias. If I was, you know, perhaps not a cook, uh, I maybe have a different story to tell. But uh, I, I feel like we can point to some degree to the pop up. Okay. 
Right. So those I are the remember. restaurants that just appear and then or, disappear. Or, yeah, potentially restaurants that appear and disappear, or the notion that some that the restaurant is is a, a physical space, a kitchen and a dining room, and then right. and then a varying cycle of people come in to do a meal one night only. Oh, right. Yeah. So you can get this guy's empanadas or one night only. Someone's doing ramen mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And I remember a couple of summers ago, uh, being invited out with some pals, and they said so and so is doing a fried chicken pop up in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. An existing bar scenario. Right. Right. And so great. Amazing. Who doesn't like fried chicken on a Sunday afternoon in the summer? Right. Mm-hmm. Perfect. But the reality of that was we got there and the fried chicken scenario was sort of set up out front where the patio might be. OK. Right. Yeah. Smart. Mm-hmm. It worked. Ventilation. All nice. of that made yeah. a lot of sense. But the like the bar, the the bar was running the money. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to go pay for what, what you ordered and then get a little Inside. shit. Yeah. To go give to the person at the service table, Mm -hmm. right? Makes sense. But then, like, they don't take debit. They only take cash. Then you got to walk down a few blocks and maybe a sign about this. See, I'm already not coming back at that point. Right? Then you're sort of standing around waiting for somebody. There's no order. There's no system. Right? And I was getting irritated because you'd go back to sit down. Uh, on these, on the like the cinder blocks, the parking, you know, the little yeah. the bits at the end, like it's or a picnic table, yeah, and sort of look up and ima- and dream about when your order was coming up. There hmm. was no structure. There wasn't anybody, you know, taking Ugh. tickets, organizing lines, dropping chicken. My skin you know? is crawling, <laughs> and mine was too. Why I was did you infuriated, stay? and I found myself with my friends on a cinder block with a paper plate, eating a piece, and I was like, I don't care about this Mm. if somebody clearly doesn't care about my experience eating your food yeah i'm not just here to fill the tank right i've identified two potential yeah uh contributors to this problem tell me one is uh the instagram yes you know whole notion so i feel like the the idea of creating a mood that is based on uh making people feel welcome and making them feel good right. has been replaced with creating a mood that leads to like really good photographs yep. and is Instagrammable. Yeah. And because you cannot take a photo of that feeling. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You can't, or you can, you know, fake that you're having a great time Indeed. as long and as the food is in the picture. Precisely. It <laughs> um, needs to be as good as it's required to yeah. get that shot. Even if you're not having a good time, right. you even have to look like you are. Even if not even fully cooked. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the other piece, which I can also tie back to beer. Yeah. It, and it's interesting because you mentioned the pop-ups and I think it's uh, yeah. p- part of that is the, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Yes. Um, this is something that's happening with beer a lot. There's a lot oh, of like one-offs and everyone's running to get right. them. One cast, just one because special right. you can only get it that once. People are lining up, yeah. and just to be able to say, "I had that," yeah. or "I did that," and I wonder, you know, with this fried chicken place, it was open just briefly, yep. and people are just willing to do anything to be able to say, "Oh yeah, I had it's that," the fetishization, and then it, right? to be yes. able to say one week later, "Oh, you missed it." Oh no, I but I caught oh my it. God, it's really, and the then truth. you know, retroactively, you can show your pictures of what a great time you're having. Yeah. And, you know, even though you went through all that hell, yeah. I somehow it seems to. But all that counts less... is the photo, which is the photo right? of the chicken. Do you, that must be a right? piece of it. I, I am sure it is. I oh. am sure it is. Which makes my stomach turn. Like it's the worst. It's not good, right? There is, and, and I think that the hospitality, like there's, there's, an, there's integrity there that mm-hmm. I'm sad to see go. Yeah. Right. And that we the notion that we want to isolate the experience of eating food from the human connection required to produce that food 
is dangerous. Of course. Right? The notion that we that we eat both in, in isolation from the people that uh, that are that are going to eat this and that have pr- that have provided us ingredients. Right? I'm talking yeah. about customers and I'm talking about farmers and cheesemakers. That's true because that's the the other side of great service. Yes. If the service is great, I'm not worrying about, you know, I'm up and cooking and in and out and doing the dishes as yep. I would be entertaining at home. I'm just sitting with the people I'm sitting with, enjoying a meal it. and focusing on them and <sighs> everything else is taken care this of. This is what I think, right? I hadn't thought of it that way. That is the note. It's, it's that pause button yeah. so that you have a moment where you're, we're going to go and put ourselves in somebody else's hands. And now we've got weird widgets. Weird widgets. And Josh and I have a weird widget for you. Oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's see it. You might know it. Oh. (laughs) Do you want to describe it? Okay. (laughs) This is a curious version of this. It's suggestive, I would say. It's quite suggestive. Yes. (laughs) Here on the eve of International Women's Day. Yes. Um, okay, so what we have here is a plastic apparatus. It's got those, uh, those good grips, mm-hmm. on handles on the side. It probably is, um, what's that, about like four inches, mm-hmm. four or five inches in diameter. But it's hollow. It's like a round thing, but then in the center. Watch your fingers, by the way. Oh, I sliced myself sharpies. on it. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah, I see Already. it. Mm-hmm. But in the center, there is what looks like a blade um, but then it separates into this sort of beautiful leafy. You can say vaginal. Tear. It's very, very vag-like. Yes, it's super vag-like, um, and I'm so curious about what this is for because I've seen versions of this. Okay, that had more spo- spokes or okay. spikes to deal with an apple. Okay, right? You press it down on an apple, and then you get a core is out, and the mm-hmm. slices are there. But that is not what is happening here. Here it looks like some sort of sweet little uh, vulva cookie cutter. So (laughs) you are on the right track with the apple, but we're dealing with a different fruit. A different fruit. So it's a fruit with lots of like thickness on the outside and then a tiny little pit on the inside. What is this? Is this a mango? Correct. (laughs) Is this for a mango? And I oh have my always God, have you brought a mango. I You're going to show me how this happens. I have actually not used it yet. Listen, let the record show this is a big deal that you're blowing this brown girl's mind about dealing with a mango. If it works, that's not nothing. If I've never, I just I come, bought I it. I come a long line of mango lovers <laughs> Here's and eaters. The first issue I'm seeing is this is what I would consider, from my limited North American perspective, a standard mango, the, the green and yeah. red. Is yeah. it even going to fit? Well, I actually, what I'm curious about is, I don't know that the assumption is that the skin should still be on. Oh, yeah, it should. Really? Yes. <laughs> this is, yeah. Really? Uh-huh. It's going to fit. Okay. Because if you imagine the pit. Because I also brought this smaller Oh, the pit. Mango. So with the, I think with this big guy, uh-huh. what we don't know is the width of the pit versus the width yeah. of the space. So maybe try I the small one. I think your little Alfonso there, your little Mexican okay. number. So shall we is better. give it a. Oh my a, God, this is so exciting. Which way would you put the mango? Tiny uh, like bend that. up? Okay. Yeah. Really dork styles. I would probably cut a, I'd slice off a flat end. You would. But, but I like, oh I, my, my God, I love that you're just, oh. <gasps> And listen to that. My God, it worked. Look at that. It did, but now I just have two mango pieces, and uh, I guess so. You would. Oh no! But this peel it first. You. uh, My original thought was, but clearly it is not required. 
because all you have to do here is make your little hash marks. That's what right? it's like you read the instructions <laughs> or you're a professional in the industry. Right. <laughs> Or brown, don't forget. <laughs> really, what is giving me this knowledge is being brown more than anything. That's exactly what they said to do right. in the instructions: is to cut it into of, uh, mango eaters it. who like not only do we like eating mangoes, but we like talking about eating mangoes. Look at that, right? And so then this beautiful hedgehog of a thing shows up, and then you just pop right? it open, and then you just then you just slide that off into your mouth. And if this mango is adequately ripe, which it feels like it is, somebody mm-hmm. can spend some nice time ha- over a sink or a garbage can having their way with this pit. I just don't see the advantage over doing this over just slicing the I two think, pieces Well, off. I mean, the truth is I've seen a lot of people who are terrified okay. about penetrating a mango, mm-hmm. right, or getting in there somehow. Yeah. So this is a perfect little training wheels move. That isolates the fleshiest bits and the pit, which is a thing, right? It is a delicious thing. When I'm cutting up mangoes, at least in my family, Mm -hmm. and in brown circles, it's like, who wants to suck on this pit? Yes. Is a thing. Oh, for sure. And people will raise their hands and race over. That's not me. Get stuck in the teeth. Yeah. And so uh, this is beautiful to be able to hand them a beautiful isolated thing. There's a lot of good times on this pit. I can see you're you're going for it. Oh, yeah. My mouth is watering. (laughs) Shall we try it on the full mango? Do you want to try? Now I'm emboldened for sure. Okay. Do you want to try or should I? Uh, I want you to do it. I want to watch it. Okay. Let's see. Oh, it isolates no. the pit. I can't do it. Pit's I'm too stuck. wide. I'm stuck. Pit's too wide. Hold on. No. I'm stuck. Pit's too wide. Yeah. So our, our anticipation. But, but the isn't that way beautiful? that it ice it is really beautiful. In a delightful lady way. So I guess for mini mangoes, yes. Yes. And not for... these big Mexicans. No. Sadly. Uh, but that is a thing. So would you buy it or not? Uh, I wouldn't buy it, but somebody who has wanted to increase their relationship with a mango who's a bit terrified of figuring out where the pit is, this is a perfect thing for you. Yeah. Whoever that person is. I would definitely also not buy it, although I did. I was going to say, for the podcast purposes. But I will tell you this you've blown my mind with this little scoring tip now. So I'm just going to cut the pit in the middle and then score the And if you know where the pit is, then you don't have a problem. A lot of people have no idea that the pit is a small, flat thing and you got to twist it to get your knife down the side. If you know that, off sailing into the sunset with your mangoes. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Hot Plate is recorded at Eggplant Picture and Sound Studios. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. That's a wrap. We're just going to take a little mango break. Is that okay? Okay. Uh Uh-oh. No. Mmm. What are these called? Do you know these smaller mangoes? These little ones? It's a good Mm. question. They're They're Mexicans. So, I don't know. Hmm. Atulfo? Atulfo? Hmm. I think it may be Atulfo. Oh. Mm.
Oh my God.